Welcome back to the Anglo-Boer War. I'm your host, Des Latham. This is episode 62, and I thought it a perfect moment to take a closer look at the nations featured in that war and some of the combatants. This week, it's Frenchman Georges Villebois-Marieul, whose military exploits feature both examples of modern wars and yet also echo the wars of the 19th century, particularly the Franco-Prussian War. Villebois-Marieul even spent some time in what is known as Vietnam, fighting in French Indochina, and in Europe in the mid to late 1800s. But it was in Africa where he really excelled, spending time in the Foreign Legion in Algeria, and of course fighting and then dying in South Africa at the turn of the century. He was admired by the Boers and became known as de France Colonel, the French Colonel. We've already heard about the Irish, the Americans, Canadians, Scots, Australians, New Zealanders, Germans, Scandinavians of all types, the Dutch, Portuguese soldiers who were active in the Anglo-Boer War. There were Mexicans and Spaniards too. This was a precursor to the terrible world wars which shattered the 20th century and in many ways those fighting were practicing for what seemed to be an inevitable cataclysm. World War I was an inexorable calamity, and the Anglo-Boer War one of the early military steps taken by these nations. There were other international brigades in South Africa, similar, for example, to those who fought on both sides in the Spanish Civil War. Some of the international cadres involved in the Boer War were mercenaries, some were romantics who believed in causes, others were adventurers. Perhaps one of the more complex was French Colonel Georges villebois Moriel, a swashbuckling veteran soldier of the Prussian Wars who ended up dying in a battle during the Anglo-Boer War. This is of particular interest to me because on my father's side of the family, it's thick with French blood. I won't bore you with the grisly details, just to say one of my father's ancestors was a young woman who fled the guillotine in 1779 aboard a boat for England. Villebois and Moriel are also two small towns in the west of France, and both are dominated today by ruined castles, which provide a reminder of just how transient a family's glory can be. In the town of Moriel, there is a simple plaque on the wall of the church, which cites three names that encompass an entire history, and it reads, Moriel, Bovin, Transvaal. Fighting was in the blood of the villebois Moriel. And in some ways, he was also like a Greek tragedy. Naturally of a quixotic nature, the Times History of War in South Africa said of him, He showed in his life and writings an almost medieval delight in the glory of the soldier's profession. He was more than that. He was a model Serrano de Bogiac, a romantic idealist who met his moment of truth at Borsov in the Free State, on the 5th of April 1900, and simultaneously achieved his heroic fulfillment as a soldier. However, a little background first. Villebois Moriel was steeped in family military history by the time he was commissioned in the Infanterie de Marine, in effect the colonial army. When trouble broke out in French Indochina, he was dispatched to the east in the 1860s. He arrived after the uprising had been quelled, then nearly died in his bed. His regiment had been under canvas at Hanoi and he contracted dysentery, leading to a priest being called who gave him the last sacraments. But Villebois Mariel survived and was then posted to Saigon. This story has a curious ring to it. His posting could have taken place in 1969. 
So there he was in Saigon in the 1860s, 100 years before the Americans, and was promoted to lieutenant when war broke out between France and Prussia in 1870. He began to haunt the quays, watching ships load up to return to France, where the emperor had suffered several reverses against the rampaging Prussian army. The young Villebois Moriel eventually jumped aboard a ship and disembarked in Marseille in September 1870. The Prussians were in charge of France all the way to Orléans, while Paris somehow remained in French hands. His own division, the Marines, had been destroyed at the Sedan, so he joined the infantry instead and led a company as part of the 25th Division. By January 1871, with snow on the ground, he led his men by example and built a name for himself as courageous and dashing. Villebois Mariel also began to demonstrate one of the basic military concepts, the importance of the human contact between officers and men, which he perfected in South Africa. Marching steadily through January, his division eventually surprised the Germans at Blois in France, and naturally he charged them at the front of the men, and he was immediately shot in the leg. A sergeant and the company bugler lifted him to his feet after he had fallen and suggested retreat. Instead, uh, Villebar Moriel demanded the three should continue attacking, so they carried him forward. He remained at the front over the next day despite his serious leg wound and eventually the French prevailed and defeated the Germans at Blois. For his valour, he was decorated in the field with the cross of the Legion of Honour. However, the French government surrendered to the Prussians in the same week as he received his medal, which embittered him greatly. Villebar Moriel was hospitalised with his serious leg wound and a priest was brought in to read him his last rites once more and once more that was premature he survived. As he lay in hospital in Blois close to death there would be an odd coincidence. You see because at the same time a young British officer lay close by a man by the name of Horatio Herbert Kitchener Lord Kitchener to you and me. They would meet 30 years later at the Battle of Pardeberg in the Orange Free State during the Anglo-Boer War. So Villebois Moriel recovered from his wound and studied the theory of war at Ecole in Paris. Luckily for him, the Russians and Turks had concluded their war and at an age of 23 he set off for the Balkans to learn the art of how to fight from both. Isn't it ironic that the lessons he learned from the Russians and the Turks he was to use during the Anglo-Boer War? In South Africa, while commanding the foreign corps of the Boer army against the British, Villebois constantly recalled his experiences with the Russians and the lessons he had learned from their leaders. In fact, when he ended up fighting for the Boers, he hired a Russian officer called Colonel Maximov as his deputy. Before this, however, he fell in love. In 1888, Georges met Paula Estrangine, and eventually they were married. They were soon joined by a daughter, Simone. But things were soon to head downhill for this Frenchman. He was to fall foul of the Third Republic, and a personal tragedy from which it appears he never fully recovered. His wife, Paula, died of illness and left him their daughter to bring up alone. This had a profound effect on Valabois, and he resigned from the infantry and they immediately joined the French Foreign Legion and was posted back to Algeria for six years. 
However, his lofty ideals were always in conflict with the real politique of the French government of the day, and finally he resigned from service in 1895, realizing the French army was full of peacetime soldiers who preferred long service medals to the business of war. By the late 19th century, France and its army had many challenges. France in 1899 was also a bit like South Africa, a time of mounting crisis. France was being treated with contempt by other nations. There followed a shockingly embarrassing story where the President of the French Republic, President Félix Forer, had died of a stroke while cavorting in bed with his mistress late one afternoon. That was the last straw for Villebar. He believed France was rotten with politicians. The parliamentary system had been stolen by the corrupt. Virtue was no more. So Villebois Mauriol resigned from his beloved army. He was clearly suffering from the trauma of losing his wife and at the same time searching for valour. The stories which he read about the Boer army of 57,000 facing the might of the British army resonated with this Frenchman. He decided to head to Africa to help and asked his brother to look after his 16-year-old daughter Simone. He didn't speak to Simone about his decision, merely writing her a letter explaining his actions, then set sail for South Africa. In his diary he wrote, It is a due rather, for when one departs for a war, there is a good chance that one will never come back. He also penned a letter to his brother, in which he had written, One no longer fights in France, so I left the army where I had done my time. One fights elsewhere against the English, the hereditary enemy of France. I take up my sword again. A month after the conflict began, in November 1899, he stepped off a ship in Lorenzo Marx, also known as Delagoa Bay or modern-day Maputo. The Anglo-Boer War had quickly become a graveyard for international soldiers. At the Battle of Ilanslachte in Natal, for example, took a heavy toll in the Germans and Dutch who were fighting for the Boers. Then at Marchesfontein, where the Scandinavians suffered, in fact, their company there was literally wiped out. Villebois Mariol eventually arrived in Pretoria in late November 1899, where he set up a French unit which was somewhat different from other international corps. You see, the other international units were a mishmash of various nationalities, but Villebois Mariol was a French nationalist, determined his unit would remain exclusively French. The speed at which this middle-aged professional soldier adapted himself to the chaos of the Boer army was remarkable. Still, he remained a European, writing to his daughter that The impression I get clearly as I penetrate this part of Africa is that we other French maintain abroad the national superiority that we are losing in our own country. These kind of concepts today form the basis of ringing jingoism and even right-wing nationalism, but in 1899 they were the norm. His unit was to be attached to General Piet Jobert's commando, and he set off for the Natal front, where he was based outside Ladysmith, which, as you'll remember, was being besieged at the time. Villebois Moriel was about to experience something unusual, a British night attack on one of the Boer gun positions. That was at Lombard's Corp, to the west of the besieged town. Villebar Moriol was horrified by the lack of attention to detail at the gun position, where the gun crew was on duty, but there were no outposts who could warn of a possible attack. His grim warnings to the commanding officer went unheeded, 
which was fortunate for the 500 men of the Natal Carboneers and the 100 of the Imperial Light Horse. They had been sent by General Hunter to attack, which they did at 2am the following morning, 7th of December 1899. Brillebois Moriel was rudely awakened by the sound of battle. The Boer gunners ran off, leaving their large long tom behind. The British blew it up and took the Boer Maxim machine gun back to Ladysmith with them. The Boer officer commanding Major Erasmus was eventually arrested under orders from President Kruger in connection with this embarrassing event. The Frenchman, however, had other problems to deal with. He had dysentery. Curiously, lying in a bed adjacent was a former Prussian officer against whom he had fought in the Franco-Prussian War by the name of Colonel von Braun. It was a case of a common enemy, however. Both agreed to drop their enmity caused by that European war as they fought the British together in Africa. More French and German officers were arriving in South Africa by the week and word reached villebois Moriel that General Buller was advancing on the Jugela River at Colenso. Still recovering from dysentery, he was determined to assist the Boer defences and join General Boerter. He was about to witness one of the most disastrous battles in British military history. It began on the 14th of December and is the subject of one of my earlier podcasts. The day before, the French colonel had ridden with General Boerter and identified the strategic importance of Tlangwani Hill. Indeed, this large hill was to become crucial in two battles. However, the way in which the Boers fought on the 15th of December impressed the Frenchman and he wrote in his diary, There is something here which is indestructible. The British lost 143 killed, 756 wounded and 220 captured at the Battle of Colenso. Whereas Boer casualties were light, 8 killed, 30 wounded. Villebois Moriel was impressed. During the following days, he spent much time concentrating on getting to know the Boers as intimately as he could, spending hours moving from position to position. For the Boers, this impressive French officer was merely de France Colonel, as they found his name unpronounceable, and he became part of their daily lives. He had a distinctive appearance, more like the British officers they captured than their own. His uniform was something he had concocted for himself, a khaki tunic with black buttons, trousers of corduroy tucked into riding boots complete with spurs. He had a felt hat on his head he'd bought at the Louvre department store in Paris and wore it turned up on one side like an Australian. He had a bandolier of ammunition over his shoulder, a revolver at his side, field glasses slung over his head and in his hand he always held a cane and leather gloves. The very epitome of a French officer standing on a South African copy. He also sported a dapper moustache, ends tapering upwards. Villeroy Moriel also conducted himself during battle in a manner that was completely incomprehensible to the Boers and more like his European counterparts, the British. He would ride about, ignoring the shrapnel and bullets whizzing about him, and his legend quickly grew. It was madness, of course. Modern soldiers will wince when thinking about this, but the French colonel was chiseled from another time in history. He was the old honourable soldier, facing death while standing like a lion rather than crawling about like a lizard. As we'll see, no other foreign officer would make as big an impact as Villebois Moriel. Furthermore, he was tactful even when dealing with Boer officers who were notoriously thin-skinned about taking any advice. Except, of course, for General Louis Boerter. He understood that Villebois Moriel could read the British tactics and strategies far better than most of his own officers, 
and Boerter told a French war correspondent that Villebois Morial sees movements 15 days before they happen. Of course, the British were highly aware that a former commander of the French Foreign Legion was in the hills above Colenso, and the Daily Mail in London ran a story suggesting that the colonel had been enticed to fight because he was hard up and needed the cash. They also blamed the British catastrophe at Colenso on the Frenchman, which of course was totally untrue. It was merely another example of the British Empire narrative that these so-called Boer peasants could not have conducted such a significant defeat without the British arch-enemies, the French and the Germans behind such a cataclysm. Villebois Moriel noted one specific characteristic of the Anglo-Boer War, which was anachronistic. Nothing, he wrote, is stranger than this war between men who keep their respective positions without dislodging each other. It is immobile warfare, the warfare of 200 years ago. Of course, it was also to become the future World War I trench warfare. Everything is out of date in the ideas and methods of the Boers, he continues. And yet... The incapacity of their adversaries makes them the masters of the situation. He wanted the Boers to press home the advantage, but the Boers knew that their people would never support massive casualties. They just did not have the manpower. So, after Colenso, the French colonel decided to go on an extensive tour of the Boer positions to gather information in order to help Generals Boerta and Joubert, at least in Ladysmith. Word soon went around that Di Franza Colonel was among them, and at every position he was received with enthusiasm like a visiting pop star. He was aware that many of the Boers were descendants of the French Huguenots, who had fled France during their religious persecution in the 1680s and arrived in the Cape. So Villebois Moriol naturally ascribed their successes against the British to their French heritage. This, of course, failed to account for just how much the Boer tactics had been forged in Africa. So, after 16 hours in the saddle, reconnoitring the battlefield around Ladysmith, he returned to his HQ and was convinced he'd found a weakness in the British positions and a way to take the town. But he knew too that the Boer generals were part politician, part military commander. They could not demand their men launch a full-out assault because of the probability of high casualties. Instead, he suggested what he called a movement of Boer lines forward and wanted a dawn attack on the British positions at Wagon Hill and Caesar's camp. By gaining possession of these two outposts on what was known as the Platrant, the plateau overlooking Ladysmith, the British position in the town would have been untenable for its commanding officer, Sir George White. Many of the younger Boer commanders were also pushing for such an attack, but General Joubert was notoriously cautious. It was Christmas 1899. Would General Joubert listen to his young officers and de France colonel? We'll see next week. In the meantime, thanks to Sol in Russia, who has sent me a direct message on Twitter, at Des Latham. Sorry about the difficulty in rating the podcast on iTunes. Please keep trying. And also, it's fantastic to see interest in the series grow, with tens of thousands of listens from people around the world. These include Denmark, the Russian Federation, Qatar, Latvia, and even Saudi Arabia. And to the thousands of listeners in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, America, Hong Kong, Canada, amongst others, thank you for making our podcast successful so far. Next week, we'll hear what happens to the French Colonel Georges villebois Moriel as he fights a Serrano de Bergerac-type personal campaign of honor against what he called 
the hereditary enemy of France. Until then, goodbye.